You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, so uh, we're going to continue our study on uh, the four temperaments, uh, kind of a personality temperament study. Uh, We've entitled the series, Why Are You the Way That You Are? Uh, I think that's the biggest question is why you are the way that you are. But I'd also, I'd also say that it's nice to know why other people are the way that they are too. Uh, especially why is your uh, wife, why is your husband, why are your children the way that they are? Why are they not like me? Why, the, why do they not get it? Because we, we interpret pretty much everybody by ourselves. We know the way that we think, so why don't other people think that way? We know the way that we work, why don't other people work that way? You know, we know, uh, depending on who you are, we know how easy it is for some of us to, to, to be friendly and outgoing. Why can't you be more friendly? Why can't you be outgoing? And I wonder if there's some, I wonder if there's some of you more introverted personalities. Did you ever have a parent uh, or uh, maybe a spouse or something to that, that that's trying to, uh, always trying to push you to be more outgoing? Anyone? All right. Uh, you know, oh, come on. And uh, Deidre's, uh, she was raising her hand to point at Derek. I knew she wasn't raising her hand because uh, if they were telling her to be outgoing, she got the message, uh, let me tell you. But anyway, uh, but, you know, one of the cool things is, is that it's not that we can't help because one of the great things about this particular study about the temperaments, I, I, I've told you before that I enjoy, uh, I haven't found a personality study that I don't like. I just enjoy studying about this stuff, reading about this stuff. It's it's educational, it's entertaining, but one of the cool things about this particular study is not only does it help diagnose, so to speak, why you are the way that you are, but it also gives tools to help show you how you can, uh, how, the, how your temperament can be modified to glorify God. So, in other words, it's, it's not just uh, an excuse, and that's one thing that we cannot do. We cannot use our temperament, the things that we learn and know about ourselves as an excuse uh, but we've got to use the things that we learn as edification because what God tells us to do in His Word, uh, we are able to do through His power, even if it's not as comfortable or as natural for us. But at the same time, God's made us all a certain way. And in, in the introduction to this, I talked about how people are hardwired this way. And when I, when I say that, what I, what I am saying is just the fact that I have the temperaments that I have or the blend of temperament that I have, and so do you. Uh, you know, we may just want to change it, but you don't just change it. You don't just willingly say, yep, I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm going to be this now. Uh, but to say that you're hardwired again, some people hear that and think, okay, well, that's it. I mean, there's, uh, there's no helping it. I'm going to just keep on being the way that I am with my weaknesses. But one other thing that you'll hear, you'll hear me refer to this illustration a lot. Maybe you can help me with some other illustrations as well, but I'm thinking about something that's good and something that's bad. Um, you know, and I, I was using the illustration of water. Uh, is water good or bad? Uh, we would generally say water's good, but if you're in the middle of a flood, water's not good, right? Uh, water's good, fire's good uh, in context, and it's, that's the way our temperaments are. Uh, your temperament is not bad. It's not, your temperament is not bad. Uh, your temperament is just what it is, and it's kind of who's controlling it. Is it your old nature controlling it, or is it you allowing the Spirit of God to control your temperament? And we'll see more about that in just a moment. I want to read what's kind of been our text verse in Romans chapter number 7, verse number 15, where the Bible says, Romans 7, verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For that, 
for what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is not good. Now it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, uh, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Uh, now if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There's more to those verses than what I'm going to tell you, but basically in short, it goes along with what we're saying really good because he's saying there's things that I want to do that I struggle to do. There's things that I don't want to do that I find myself doing. And I think a lot of that goes to the temperament. Now, he talks about when sin is in control of that, the Apostle Paul actually fit uh, out of, out of the, the temperaments that we study. And again, there's four major temperaments, and, but no one, uh, I don't believe that there's anyone that is 100% one of these temperaments. Almost everyone is, uh, is a blend, uh, arguably, of all four, even if it's just a percent or two of some of the other ones. But with many of us, these, there, there's a blend that's, uh, that's very close. You know, like for me, I've got the, the sanguine and then the phlegmatic. Uh, I don't know if it's 60, 40 or what it would be, but, but there's, other, there's others of you because remember one of the ways that we help define these temperaments is there's two introverted temperaments and there's two extroverted temperaments. And so one of the ways to help figure out whether or not your primary temperament is, you know, for instance, we'll be studying choleric today, uh, is are you outgoing? Are you known as an outgoing person? Are you an extrovert? Uh, if not, this probably isn't your primary temperament. But what can happen a lot of times is there's some people to where it's like, uh, you know, 55, 45. In other words, it's, it's so close that there's time. You're, you, you might be sitting there and saying, well, there's a lot of times I'm pretty extroverted. Uh, most of the time I'm not. Generally I'm not. But there's times that I am. And that just means that your secondary temperament is probably uh, very strong. So without any further delay, we'll get into the second temperament. Last week we studied about the first extrovert. You remember what that one was? Sanguine, that's right. Uh, sanguine, you know, the person that enters the room mouth first. They're extroverted. Uh, what's, some, what's some of the, and uh, yeah, she's sitting right there, but <laughs> what are some of the characteristics of, the, of a sanguine, if you can just help me? Yeah, the life of the party. Uh, they, they, they're the life of the party. They, not only do they, uh, not, not are they only often the center of attention, they want to be the center of attention. They thrive. They enjoy being the center of attention. Uh, yeah. I mean, see, right now, she's like, hey, me, me, me. Uh, right? And uh, again, I'm sanguine, but boy, she's, uh, man, just about textbook. She's so, her, so, so uh, dominant in her temperament. Some of you uh, may be that way as well. Uh, what's some of the other uh, uh, characteristics? Yeah, yeah, mouth first, come into the room mouth first. Uh, friendly, love people, um, 
you know, uh, they can uh, impulsive. Uh, they can be very, you know, on the weak side of things. They can be very, uh, very in the now. What's going to make me feel good right now? It's not about the consequences. It's not about tomorrow on the weak side of things. It's just like this is uh, going to make me happy right now, so this is what I'm going with. Uh, so they can be very impulsive. Uh, they don't. Uh, they they don't. Um, they don't have a lot of uh, resistance as far as uh, shopping cons is concerned. If they they see something they want, uh, they're they're so in the moment. Ralph. That's right. Your your temperament is a part of your mind, because uh, your mind is a part of your soul. Your uh, you know, and so it's, it's kind of broad. So in other words, because uh, your soul is, uh, your soul is who you really are. So that deals with you, the, the way you think, the way you feel, the things that you do. And so temperament is a part of the, the soul. So therefore it's related to the mind. Um, it's a fixed thing within you, yes. And so let's just go with let's just go with the sanguine. So we're talking about that. We'll talk about a choleric in a minute. Well, okay. Let's we can talk about a choleric since that we're talking about uh, the Apostle Paul. The Bible, what he said that he was doing. What was he doing before he was saved? Killing Christians. Killing Christians. He and he was. Uh, yeah, I mean, but think about how he went. Was he was he this soft kind of cool going guy? He went hard. He was going hard. The Bible says he was breathing out threatenings against the church. He had a mouth on him. He, 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 was, he was driven. Uh, he didn't care who got in his way. He was on a mission. Well, guess what? God saved that man. Now, all of a sudden, did God change his temperament? No, because guess what? He's still driven. He's still on a mission. He's still pushing hard for God. I mean, so you say, oh, that's terrible that this choleric, this choleric temperament, and, and I've got to be careful because uh, it's, it's hard when you teach on the temperaments. My pastor, he taught on the temperaments in, when I was in Bible college, and he's a choleric. So it's so funny that if you sit and listen to him teach, guess what you're going to think? Choleric's the best one. I mean, buddy, that's the way to be. Natural born leader. And blah blah blah, <laughs> and all this. Uh, but it's funny because then Evan, when any time I talk about singing, he's like, "Dad, you always make that one sound like the best one." Uh, but uh, and I'll say this too: when I'm talking about choleric, uh, it's easy for me to start getting in on the negative side of choleric because one of the things remember that with these temperaments, there's some of these temperaments that are relational, and there's others that are organizational. Of the two extroverted um, temperaments. A sanguine is relational. They're about people. A choleric is not so much about people. They're organizational. They're about accomplishing things. Uh, people's feelings, uh, consideration, that stuff is not very high on the list. It doesn't really come on their radar too much. They're trying to accomplish something. Um, and so, so, the, so, the different, so the thing is, is that on, on the weak side of things, um, if you have a... Uh, if you are, see, and here I go, and the, uh, here's my bias, and it's not a bias, but I just, I end up emphasizing these things. The negative side of a choleric is, uh, one of the best ways to put it, I guess, is that a choleric can be a uh, class A jerk. If you've got that boss, if you've got that per, I mean, you don't care. I mean, uh, you, I mean, you say what you're going to say, what's on my mind, I'm going to say it. Uh, you know, it's the truth, you know, so all of a sudden that it does. So it does. That's the truth. So it may be the truth. 
Yeah, but it's like really hurting people's feelings. So? It's the truth. So see, they're, they're not focusing on the personal side of things. They're focusing on the fact. It's the truth, right? Who cares about anything else? Uh, so that, that's the side. So now as me, as a sanguine, I'm all people people. I, I want to make people happy, which by the way is another weakness of a sanguine is that they can be people pleasers um, rather than a God pleaser. But God can help us to learn to be God pleasers. But one thing that doesn't change is that uh, a, a sanguine still is, is pretty much never comfortable with confrontation. And that's also the phlegmatic side of me, too. Not comfortable with confrontation. Uh, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a Christian, I have to be somewhat confrontational. Um, but uh, I'll tell you one thing I'm doing. I, I, I thrive. I, I strive, I should say. I strive to, be, uh, to have tact. Because I may have to confront you, but, man, I sure don't want to hurt you. I mean, so I'm going to try to be... but. So then here I am as a single, but then I see a choleric. They don't care about that. So I think about them hurting people's feelings, and I'm like, man, you're terrible. Uh, uh, and that is terrible, just like things with the sanguine is terrible. But the point I'm trying to make is this, that I can, that I can struggle with bias. So if you hear it in here, um, just be warned, because I'm telling you, I can sometimes be hard on choleric. But at the same time, one of the things you'll find out is I greatly admire cholerics, like the Apostle Paul. Uh, I, I'm not as driven as this man is. I wished I was. Uh, I'm not as bold as this man was. I wished that I were. Uh, you see, uh, the, the way that you speak your mind as a choleric, man, I wish that, I, that that was easier for me. Um, so there's admiration there, too. Uh, so choleric is, is uh, so, 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 the thing, so a couple of the distinctives about these temperaments, some of them is relational, some of them are organizational. Also, both of them have uh, certain weaknesses, fear and anger are characterized kind of one or the other. And if there's between fear and anger, which one do you think a choleric uh, would struggle with? Anger. Right now, anger. Um, okay, so without any further delay, we're going to talk about Captain Choleric, or I was going to call it Colonel Choleric. Why? <laughs> because by golly, they're in charge. Uh, and so they are the captain. They're the colonel. Uh, and you better do what they say because they said to do it. And if you ask them to explain how to do it, you see, I'm already getting on, I'm already ranting here. If you, if, you, if you ask them why we ought to do it that way, you know what the answer probably is? Because I told you to. I said so. Why else? Uh, and uh, can I go ahead and get into a quick anecdote? My, my, my precious wife, I'm going to allude to her a few times probably today. Uh, she has a, uh, you know, she's, she's generally not an extrovert, I wouldn't say. But I tell you, she's, she's got a strong choleric side. Um, I know, I know. This is so dangerous. I got to be careful. Uh, like, I don't know how to be careful. Because another thing about a saying one is they run off at the mouth and they, without any control whatsoever. All right? Uh, and then it's like, you know, like uh, the, sign that some, the sign that Chad and Doria gave me that I got on my desk is that uh, uh, I, 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 I'd rather, I don't like to think about what I'm going to say. I just like to say it and be as surprised as everybody else at what comes out. <laughs> and so that's kind of me. But for whatever reason, I'll just give a couple little funny examples here about a, about a choleric, and this is backwards because usually I get in the lesson and get, then give these anecdotes. But uh, just a couple funny choleric things about my wife that would help you. Maybe I should just say a choleric. I don't have to use you, do I? I could have just said a choleric may be this way. Aren't it? Too late. Okay. Uh, it's already come out, hasn't it? Uh, 
But okay, here it is. Uh, I'm gonna help, I'm gonna wash the dishes to help my wife, and that doesn't help happen very often. But I'm gonna do it, and that's that's all well and good unless she's in the kitchen. Why? Because uh, I'm washing dishes, and, and listen, my phlegmatic side kicks in, and maybe my sanguine side because I'm just kind of I'm there and. Oh my gosh, just move. What's, it does what's it, what's it take so long? Let's, you know, what are you doing? Now, honey, I'm washing the dishes. Yeah, but, but why are you doing it? Why is it taking so long? Why, just scrub it and why are you moving so slow? Okay, so that's a question a choleric has. Why are you moving so slow? What's taking so long? Uh, and you know what my response is? It's not a race. You know, so there's my laid back side. I'm like, honey, I was like, we're not on a deadline here, you know. But uh, a cleric's always on a deadline because they got to get this done so they can go get the next thing done. <laughs> One more, well, I'll say, just imagine you go try that you go for a beach walk with a cleric. Um, I'm not saying this ever happened uh, to me, but. Uh, <laughs> Okay, beautiful, uh, beautiful moonlight. I mean, it's one of those, you know, honeymoons or uh, strawberry moons or whatever that it is and uh, down at the beach. And honey, let's go for a walk. Uh, see, a cleric may struggle to go on a casual walk. Uh, why? Because a casual walk is kind of wasting time. If you're on a walk, it, it, you're getting something accomplished, all right? You're getting something done. And uh, so here it is. Now, here's my, my mind going out on a nice, romantic walk on the beach, uh, you know, and uh, just nobody out there. And it's, it's down at a Desto Beach down in South Carolina. It's a very uh, just remote place. There's not really, there's, it's not a tourist trap. I mean, it's just a small little area. And uh, we're walking. And so my idea is just going along, maybe stopping, sitting on the sand and, you know, looking out at the ocean. But a cleric's idea is just, put it in gear, buddy. We're going to go on this walk. Let's get her done. And on down the beach and on back we go. Okay, well that was fun, uh, you know, <laughs> and and it's the same thing if uh, if you if, and I tell you it's the funniest thing, uh, just going on a walk. My wife walks, but she don't just walk to be walking; she walks for exercise. And buddy, you better keep up. I just about have to have, to have a light jog sometimes. Uh, why? Because she's trying to accomplish something. So I love. Um, I love my choleric wife. I mean that with all of my heart. Uh, I am a better man today. I'm not a great man, but I am a much better man because of my godly choleric wife. And, uh, you know, when, I, when you study about the, the choleric, uh, Tim LaHaye in his book, he, he talks, he says that there's not many women cholerics, and I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with him more. There are many women cholerics. But I would say within the Christian world, I thought if there's any temperament that would have to do with a male or female being a struggle, it would probably be choleric because what we think of as being a godly Christian woman, you know, the stereotype or whatever, oftentimes does not fit into the description of what a choleric is. But under the control, but, but those stereotypes aren't always true because I'm telling you to get accomplished what the Proverbs 31 woman got accomplished she had, to be, she had to have some choleric. And the Proverbs 31 woman, by the way, is just honestly a perfect woman. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know outside of my wife, maybe any woman that would totally fulfill all of that is like, this is, this is the perfect woman. 
But, but there had to be some cleric in her to be able to accomplish what she accomplished. And so if you are a cleric wife, a cleric mother, uh, ju again, just like water, just like fire, is it good or is it bad? Well, in the hands of, in, in, in a controlled environment, it's good, amen? Out of control, it's dangerous. Um, and so uh, uh, without any other anecdotes for the moment, I'll try to get into this. Okay, Captain Cleric, Colonel Cleric, uh, extrovert organization, uh, the hot, quick, active, practical, and strong-willed temperament. And again, as I go through these, I'm putting it in, in the male perspective, but it's male or female. Uh, Captain Cleric is often self-sufficient and very independent. He tends to be decisive and opinionated, finding it easy to make decisions for himself as well as others. <laughs> they can make the decision for you. Uh, you didn't even know you were having to make a decision. They've already made it for you. Uh, like, oh, okay. Uh, don't wear that. Wear this. Don't drive this. Don't drive that. Don't go this way. Go. I mean, you know, they, uh, they just, uh, they, they know the way to go. Captain Cleric thrives on activity. In fact, to him, life is activity. He does not need to be stimulated by his environment. No, he stimulates the environment with his endless ideas, plans, and ambitions. He's not an aimless, uh, and it's not an aimless activity, for he has a practical, keen mind capable of making sound and instant decisions uh, or planning worthwhile long-range projects. He does not uh, facilitate under pressure of what others think. And this is, again, one of the things I admire about a cleric. They generally, they don't care what people think. Do not care. Um, he takes a definite stand on issues and can be often found crusading against social injustice or unhealthy situations. He's not frightened by adversities. In fact, they tend to encourage him. Uh, he has a dogged determination and often succeeds where others fail. Uh, not because his plans are better than others. So a cleric succeeds, but it's not necessarily because their plans are better than others, but because he refuses to quit. They will not stop. They're tenacious. After others have become discouraged, um, the cleric is still pushing on. They're driven. Uh, they're determined. By the way, for another example of a, a cleric, and uh, in, in the White House right now, there is a choleric sanguine, a double extrovert, uh, which is a, uh, you can see how that looks, right? Um, an example, and you can see, uh, you see the good of it and you see the bad of it, don't you? Uh, you see both of it, and people are just like, oh, I wish he would quit doing this or that. Guess what? He don't really care what you think, all right? Because he's choleric, and that's just the way a choleric is. Uh, for better or for worse. Captain Cleric's uh, emotional nature is the least developed part of his temperament. He does not sympathize easy with others, um, nor does he naturally show or express compassion. <laughs> so, that, and, and not, that, that, not that they can't be cultivated, but it's not a natural thing to show compassion or to sympathize. Uh, you won't find a cleric naturally looking too often saying, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, if you're a choleric parent, when your kid gets hurt, your reaction is probably not, or if you had a choleric parent, their attitude was probably not like, oh, honey, are you okay? Come let me see it. Their reaction is probably, will you quit your wine and stop that? You're embarrassing yourself. You know, toughen up a little bit. I mean, you know, what's all the carrying on about? 
As a matter of fact, uh, a choleric can be embarrassed or disgusted by the tears of others. When they see somebody else crying, they're just like, oh my gosh, that's awkward. How, how, what's wrong with you? You know, one cleric, said, one cleric said, get those tears back inside your eyes where they belong. Right? Uh, they, they don't like, it's, it's, uh, it's awkward, it's embarrassing, or it's just flat out disgusting. Uh, if you want to see a cleric get mad, uh, find, some, find, find somebody who is, uh, uh, you know, crying over something. Or whining about something. I mean, do yourself a favor. Do not go to a choleric when you're when you need to be consoled. Oh man, I I just had the roughest time with this and that, and uh, man, I I fell down off the roof, and oh, I'm just hurting so bad. And the cleric's looking down at you like, well, why did you put the why didn't you put the ladder up this other way? It's not even that far. Are you still crying? Will you stop crying? Will you stop your whining? I mean, it's just like that. Uh, I mean, so uh, the cleric generally does not show compassion. He's often embarrassed or disgusted by the tears of others. Um, and they might even make fun. I, I think of that too. That's one of the ways maybe they, they can offset this, uh, the whole thing of when they're seeing people cry, uh, man, be careful if you're, if you're watching a tear-jerking movie with the cleric. Because, buddy, if they see those tears coming down your face, they're going to give it to you. Uh, I mean, they're going to make fun of you, and they're going to, uh, what's wrong with you? So, uh, a cleric has little appreciation for the fine arts. Uh, and I tell you, I, I got to tell this one, too, on my, my precious wife. This is funny, because this one... Um, uh, she's leaving. <laughs> no, this one is funny. I'll tell you one thing right now. Now, I'm not a huge museum person, but I like museums. Um, and I, I remember we, we, we were down around Charleston about the same time as the beach walk years ago. And, uh, man, me and Jennifer were talking about trying to get over and see uh, Fort Sumter down in South Carolina. Uh, but, man, Melanie generally isn't interested in, you know, history or just going and seeing something from 100 or 200 years ago, who cares? What's that got to do with me right now, uh, right? But here's the funny one. A, a, friend of ours, uh, a friend of ours took her to the Biltmore House down in Asheville, North Carolina, and this is the most hilarious thing. She was, so, she was just so amused by this. Gwen, uh, our pastor's daughter, she's just a precious lady, but so she, Melanie, and the girls went up to Biltmore House, and it's just this huge mansion. It was built, I think, by the Vanderbilts, um, and just this huge mansion down there. It's a pretty cool place if you ever, ever want to Google it. Uh, I don't want to go there because it's like $50 a ticket, but they had season passes. So she took Melanie, and she was like, she was like oh, it may take a while to get through. And so Gwen would walk her in, and, and so Gwen's over here, and every little, every little place there's a, there's a little plaque on the wall that'll tell you the, the history of this tapestry and, the, and where this bust came from. And Melanie, here's her walking in, this whole big room full of all this uh, stuff, and she's just, yeah, that's pretty cool. What's in the next room? Am I exaggerating? I mean, it's probably not much more than that. Why? I, I'm getting in so much trouble. I thought you'd be okay with that one. Um, <laughs> cholerics can be scary. <laughs> That's the next point. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Sanguines can be idiots and, uh, and get in trouble. All right. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, basically, uh, the... Uh, 
Well, I had to look this word up because uh, in, in the notes it was that uh, a cleric's primary interest is, is in the Altarian values. And Altarian just means the doctrine that actions are right if they are useful or for the benefit of a majority of life. And so um, they, they, they're, they're very practical. Uh, a cleric is also op optimistic. Now, remember, many of you, if you're going through this and you're saying, yes, yes, nah, that's not so much me, well, then there's a good possibility that there's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're a choleric melancholy or a melancholy choleric. And that's where you'll see not all of these will describe you perfectly because what we'll find as you study the other temperaments, when we get into just, say, the optimistic part, maybe you're not all that optimistic very often because maybe you have a, a strong melancholy temperament that stays a little bit more on the negative side or something like that. But a cleric is optimistic, uh, rarely anticipating failure. That's another thing I admire about clerics, uh, is they, they don't see failure. They, they don't envision failure. If, if they're involved in it, it's going to happen. Um, and the crazy thing is, I think about a friend of mine, he's a sanguine cleric. Um, but uh, I think about him, Brother Ruckman, uh, but man, it's just funny, his uh, his attitude toward things. I, he, he'd have a, he used to, we used to have a camp meeting up in uh, central South Dakota every year. And uh, every year he would, uh, it was going to be the biggest, best camp meeting ever. Because, man, this person's coming and that person's coming. And, man, it's going to be this and that. Well, guess what? Half them people didn't even end up sh showing up. But is he down? Nope. It's fine. <laughs> Amen. Just keeps on going on. Uh, it's still going to be the greatest camp meeting ever. And, uh, but it's like, it, it's, it's going to be great. Okay, it wasn't as great as you said it was going to be. Yeah, but it's still great. It's still, it's still doing good. I mean, there's just this optimism uh, that, is, uh, uh, that, that, that they, don't, they don't see, they don't envision failure. They do not anticipate failing. And that is, uh, that's something that is not true with me. I, I can anticipate failure a lot of times. I'm, I'm scared to do stuff a lot of times. matter of fact, we had a prayer rally here in town on Friday evening, and I appreciate those that were able to come. Uh, for the community, for law enforcement, and so forth. Uh, but that's something normally that I would be scared to actually make, be decisive about and do because in the back of my mind, I'd be like, well, what if we don't have a good crowd? What if somebody perceives it? What if this or that? A cleric does not do that. If they come up with this idea, they're going to do it, and they're determined that's going to be great. And so they don't anticipate failure, and they seldom fail. Uh, except... Uh, one of the weaknesses, again, not being compassionate, love is not usually high on the priority list of a cleric. Um, he's quick to recognize opportunities and equally as quick at diagnosing the best way to make use of them. Um, in other words, a cleric man, the, the workaholic man, uh, a lot of times may be a cleric man. So he's not often there for his family because he's driven. He's trying to accomplish something. And maybe he's trying to accomplish something for his, for his family to benefit of. But he's not, he's a cleric, so he's not going to sit down and say, now, honey, children, I love y'all so much. And I just want y'all to know, daddy's working a few extra hours this week, but I'm doing it for you. No, because they should just know that. And they should just appreciate it. So he may be doing it for them, but the emotional side of it, he, he expresses his love, I guess, in a different way. Uh, rather than giving himself for his children, like his children would rather have him, uh, you know, spend a Saturday with them. But in his mind, I'm going to work uh, because he's more organizational, relational, so that my kids can benefit later by, you know, with, uh, with their college fund or with something like that. So in other words, they can be driven 
and they, they, they express love in different ways. Well, maybe say more about that in a little bit. Uh, again, he's quick to recognize opportunities and equally quick at diagnosing the best way to make use of them. He has a well-organized mind, though details usually bore him. Uh, in other words, because a cleric is so, so wanting to get it done now that don't bore me with all the details. You know, sitting in a meeting or something and talking about how are we going to do the building? Oh, well, we could do this, we could do that. It's wandering all over the place, all these details. Nope, here it is. We're going to do this. Yeah, but how are we? We're going to do it. It's going to get done. It's going to be fine. You know, it's just like this get done, details can be boring and uh, time wasting. Uh, let's see. Uh, he's not given to analysis, but to quick, almost uh, intuitive appraisal. That means he tends to look at the goal toward which he's working without seeing the potential pitfalls and obstacles in the path. Um, they say a choleric business person could start, uh, you know, a dozen businesses in their lifetime. And uh, because they never stay with one, they want to go on to the next one. Some of them may fail because they don't, they're not good at preparing uh, for the future because they're just so ready to get it done. Once a cleric has started toward a goal, he may run roughshod over individuals that stand in his way. He tends to be domineering and bossy. And uh, so if you're bossy, there's a good chance uh, that that's another, uh, you know, domineering, bossy, does not hesitate to use people to accomplish his ends. Again, on the weakness side of things. Um, a godly cleric, like the Apostle Paul, sees the, uh, the benefit of people and still uses people, but not uses people, you know, still uh, uh, utilizes people and sees their uh, need, but not running roughshod over them. But that's one thing that they can do. Uh, a cleric is often considered an opportunist. The cleric's attitude of self-sufficiency and willfulness makes him difficult to reach for Christ. Uh, and that's from Tim LaHaye. Uh, because they're so willful, they're so self-sufficient, it's hard for you to tell, tell a cleric, hey, you need Jesus. I don't need anything. You know, because that can be the, uh, uh, the attitude of the cleric. Uh, hey, do you need some help? No, I do not. I sure don't need your help because <laughs> you're not near as good as me. Uh, so, uh, but that's the, 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 the cleric. So they can, they can have a self-sufficient attitude uh, that can make them, uh, that can be one of their challenges in reaching them for Christ, a self-sufficiency and willfulness. Uh, they want to do what they want to do, and they can accomplish whatever they need to accomplish without anybody else's help. Um, all right, we'll look at a couple of these habits here of temperament. Um, you know, we, I, I gave the illustration starting off when I went over the, the four temperaments all at once about some of these little daily things that we do, but I'll just go over this one again. How does a choleric drive? Just to look at a practical place in life. Uh, a choleric, uh, the Clerics are daring speed demons who dart in and out of traffic constantly. They're always trying to get more accomplished in a given period of time than is humanly possible. And, 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 attempt to make up, and, and in an attempt to make up time, they'll drive furiously between appointments. Strangely enough, they rarely get tickets, not because they don't deserve them, but because they are crafty enough to keep an eye out in the rearview mirror and up ahead for the police. They're just looking ahead. Uh, 
The choleric is most given to road rage. The choleric driver is that one to where Mr. Melancholy, and melancholy is an introverted uh, temperament, and this could actually be said of a couple of the other temperaments. Uh, melancholy, they're a person that goes by the rules, they follow things, they're very structured, very organized. If the speed limit's 70, guess what they're going? 70. I'm talking about a melancholy now. We're getting back here. Uh, so, uh, and, if, and, and if a melancholy, here's the thing you got to know about a melancholy. If they see, uh, if all of a sudden that melancholy gets over in the left-hand lane, what's the left-hand hand lane for, y'all? Passing. So get out, get out of the left-hand lane, all right? But a melancholy, just for spite, will get over there and just put along. So then here comes Mr. Choleric uh, barreling down, and they're the ones that are on your bumper right now. They're the ones that are honking their horn. They're the, they're the ones that are just about to sideswipe you as they go. A choleric driver is probably more than anybody uh, tends toward road rage. Uh, driving with a choleric driver can be scary. I've read. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, uh, yes. <laughs> scary. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm fine. I've lived. Yeah, yeah let's quit whining. Okay, I'm moving on. Uh, hey, you ever, you, you, ever, you ever, you know that you do that thing when you're following somebody? If you're following a choleric, you just better keep up. I know you're on a two-lane highway, and I know it's busy, and I know that that choleric driver is passing cars left and right somehow managing to miss the cars coming in, uh, in oncoming traffic. And I know it's going to be hard for you to keep up, but guess whose problem that is? That's your problem. I'm driving. I'm going somewhere. If you want to go, keep up. You know, they're not looking in the rearview mirror that often. They're not thinking about, you know, I mean, it's just like, dude, you know, what, what do you, we got somewhere to get. What's the hurry? Getting there. I got to get checked into the hotel or I got to get, you know, but there's always something, the next thing we got to do. You know, they're not just casually putting along, oh, this is, boy, this is, look at all the cattle over there. And boy, that's a nice little farmhouse. And no, they're, you know, get her done. All right. Captain Choleric, uh, so that's how they, that's a, maybe one example of how they drive. Uh, Captain Choleric hates yard work. And again, Remember, you may say, well, man, I kind of like yard work. Well, you may, you may, ha you may have uh, some melancholy on your side, you know, to where you like that perfect lawn. And uh, we talked about that before, that the melancholy's lawn is beautiful, manicured. Uh, but the thing about a cleric is that when a cleric does uh, yard work, listen, the cleric, if he's on the riding mower, he does not have it in low gear, Ron. Mm. He's got it in sixth or whatever the highest gears, and it's and he's not got that deck up like this. That deck's down about like this. There's probably dust flying every little bump he hits. Uh, as he, why? Because by golly, I'm doing it. I don't want to do it 152 times. I want to do it, and I want to make it last as long as it'll possibly last before I have to do it again. Yeah, but that doesn't look good. Doesn't matter. What? what what's the goal I'm trying to accomplish? Getting the grass cut, and that's it. Uh, so. Uh, so that's uh, uh, one of the ways they would uh, say cut grass, get the job done, neatness. Neatness is not the hallmark of a choleric. They may leave a mess behind. Um, and again, there's a lot of these I can say without any wor worrying about my wife because there's many of these things that do not apply to her whatsoever. And this is definitely one of them. Uh, 
But Calerics typically uh, 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 will leave a mess behind because it's not about cleaning up, it's about accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, by the way, melancholy is the one that will never leave a mess. Melancholy, it's always going to be just right. It's going to be clean just right. Uh, the, the melancholy, if, if, if a melancholy asks you to go get something out of their toolbox, men, they can tell you that it's in the third drawer, two-thirds of the way over, back behind this. I mean, they can tell you exactly where it is. Uh, most of the other temperaments, you don't know where they're going to be. If it's a choleric, if it's a sanguine, if it's a phlegmatic even, it might be, it might be, that tool might be up under the car out in the garage somewhere, or it might be in the backyard where they were doing something else. Anyway, that's a whole other story, but, but a choleric, again, their stuff just goes everywhere. Uh, never, uh, never let him prune your bushes, trees, or hedges, for he has only one idea in mind. If you have to do it, you might as well do it once for the whole year. So he's not just thinking, oh, I'm going to trim this up real nice. It'll look good in a few weeks. And that's just like, meow, meow, meow. all right, done. Not worried about that anymore. One can usually spot the cleric's yard while driving through the neighborhood. Just look for miniature hedges and dwarf trees and uh, a yard cut down as far as it will possibly go. Clerics are stereotyped eaters. Their menu seldom varies from one day to the next. And when their food arrives, they bolt it down in big chunks, often talking while chewing. Frequently, they are the first ones finished. Uh, when it comes to balancing a checkbook, clerics hate details, so they assign or hire someone else to take care of, uh, of it. Or they'll tarry, carry two accounts and use one for six months and the other one for six months, just trying to avoid balancing checks. Uh, Captain Cleric, I've got to bring this down, but Captain Cleric is a natural motivator of other people. He oozes self-confidence. And again, this is on the side of the things that I admire about a Cleric. They ooze self-confidence, extremely goal-conscious, and can inspire others to envision his goals. Consequently, associates may find themselves more productive following the Cleric's lead. So if you've got a Cleric that's got their temperament under control, Man, this is, this is, this, by the way, this is uh, uh, Douglas MacArthur. This is uh, Patton. I mean, th 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 these are these guys that just uh, relentlessly would drive and go on. They have this confidence, and they can get others to be confident. They can, can, can get others to fight for them. Here's the thing, though, as we, I'm just halfway through this today, but uh, the thing about a choleric is that, uh, as a leader, is that he's hard to please. A choleric's hard to please. Um, you know, I know I make sports references from time to time here, but uh, if you just allow me to do so, one of the things about Michael Jordan, which most of us are familiar with his name, but if you know anything about him, if you've, if he, he was a very driven person. Uh, you know, people argue whether or not he was a great teammate. Uh, I, I say that he was, but he wasn't a nice teammate because he expected everybody to be as good, to work as hard as he did and to take it as seriously as he, as he did. Uh, so it is hard if you're a cleric when you see somebody that's not giving it. So a cleric is very hard to please. A cleric can run roughshod over other people. And here's the thing. If a cleric only knew or cared how others looked to him or her for approval and encouragement, he would spend more time patting them on the back, which would generate even greater dedication to them. But the choleric subconsciously thinks a couple different things. That approval and encouragement might lead to complacency. If I tell them they're doing good, they might stop doing good. So a, a choleric seldom will say, good job. 
naturally. Now, a cleric can learn to do that, but they don't give compliments easy. They don't give praise easily. Uh, they don't give encouragement very easily. But if a cleric ever says, good job, man, your chest pokes out because they don't, that type of compliments don't come out very often. <laughs> also, uh, one, one, you know another reason a cleric doesn't uh, give praise and compliments too often? Why would I praise you for doing something the way you were supposed to do it? Hey, check it out. I did the laundry. Yeah, it's your chore. <laughs> Why did you fold it that way? Right? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, what, whatever it is, you're seeking, you're seeking approval. Uh, you're not getting it from a cleric. You can forget it. Now, again, by God's grace, clerics can learn. And by the way, when, it, when a cleric does try to learn to try to give some compliments or to give some praise, it is so hard because it feels so artificial for them. Uh, but it don't even matter because when, when their loved ones hear it coming or, or, their, or their employees or whatever the case may be, hears it coming from them, man, it just floods them with joy anyway uh, because of the effort. But why would I praise somebody for doing what they should do? Don't get it. Uh, you know, I mean, they, so, so that's kind of the cleric uh, idea. Um, all right. Uh, so, so instead of complimenting, he, he resorts to criticism in a hope that this will inspire greater effort. I'll get them going. I'm going to tell them how terrible they are. Right? So, uh, but obviously that doesn't. Then guess what happens to Captain Cleric? He gets mad. Uh, what's wrong with these people? Uh, and, and, and we'll have to go through some of these. I, I, I'm just going to stop right in the middle of this, but it's pretty interesting when you uh, uh, think about these differences. Um, when, uh, and again, there's, there's, there's strength and weaknesses. Did, did my bias come out at all in that? Yeah. Did it? Okay. <laughs> uh, it's hard not to. Uh, and you know what? Clerics were willing to tell me that because they didn't really care if I got if it bothered me or not. Amen. But anyway, um, but no. Uh, uh, but it's uh, again the, the strengths. It, just like waters, it, water when it's controlled in a, in a controlled way, coming out of the faucet, you know, whatever, uh, and a creek. I mean, it's going like it ought to go. It's wonderful. It's good. But when it's rushing and out of control, it's dangerous. A fire is great in the winter, in the fall, when you got a campfire going. But man, when it's out of control, it's bad. And it's the same way with any of these temperaments, including choleric. Uh, whether you're a choleric man or a choleric woman, I want to encourage you one more time. And by the way, you, you want to know something else I'll say about a cleric? It's really hard to sometimes give an, uh, cleric advice or to even encourage a cleric. You know why? Because you don't need my advice and they don't need my encouragement. I'm fine, right? Uh, is there the way, their way of thinking. So if you, but uh, and I heard this about clerics too. If, if, when it comes to ideas, uh, the only way you can, uh, one of the only ways to get a cleric to go along with your ideas is if somehow you can convince them that it was their idea. Because uh, your idea is not as good as their idea, even, even if they don't even have an idea yet. It's not as good as theirs. But, but no, I just want to encourage you as a cleric. There I go again. <laughs> but uh, as a cleric, I just want to encourage you uh, to know that, uh, that, that God obviously used one of the greatest Christians ever, the Apostle Paul, and used his choleric temperament. God can, God is using, God can use, God will use your temperament for his glory and honor. One big challenge is don't justify uh, being angry all the time. Don't justify being, uh, you know, 
insensitive by just saying, well, I'm cleric, deal with it. You know, as a, as a Christian, it may not be a natural tendency for you to care. Uh, and I've had to say that to choleric children before. I know that you might not care. Uh, I know that it may not be natural for you to show sympathy. Uh, and so, oh, by the way, here I go. I'm trying to quit. Uh, but you know one thing a cleric has a hard time saying? Sorry. I did wrong. I, I'm not, they're not sorry. So I've had to tell a choleric child, look, I know that you may not really be sorry that you did this or said this. I was like, but you have to, but you have to acknowledge that it's wrong, and therefore you need to apologize, not because you feel, I don't feel bad, why would I apologize? And, uh, but well, you need to acknowledge that you did do wrong, so therefore you need to show some sympathy, some remorse uh, that you did wrong. I'm not asking you to fake, and that's one of the things to clear, yes, you are. That's not the way I feel. That's, that's not what I want to say right now. No, but listen, God can give you some temperance, some self-control, and help you say and do the right thing. Amen?